Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Peter chapter 3 as we continue our series. We're coming to the close here, last chapter. We got just a few sermons here. Um, and this is Peter writing towards the end of his life, probably just before his execution. And he is writing to the church uh, to remind them, to spur them on, to keep going. He is addressing at least three different uh, objections that he has heard. The first we dealt with in chapter one. You guys kind of made this whole thing up. Uh, chapter two, the issue is, is God really going to judge? And uh, we looked at that pretty in depth. And here in chapter three, he's asking, why is it taking so long for Jesus to return? And he's going to address that. We're going to talk about Christ's return over the next couple of weeks. And so Peter's been doing all this. And in the, the main point of this, and he said back in, in chapter 1, uh, verse 12, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder. And he says the same thing in chapter 3. These are reminders. Here's some things you are to remember. Um, it it Reminded me of the, of the story of the older couple, right, who uh, is struggling with their memory a little bit, so they make an appointment with the doctor, and uh, they go and talk to the doctor about their memory issues, and the doctor just says, hey, you're just getting older, you know, you probably should start writing more things down. They go home, and, and uh, that evening, the husband says, I'm going to go to the kitchen, do you want anything? And the wife says, yeah, I want a bowl of ice cream. Write it down. He says, I can remember that you want a bowl of ice cream. So I want a bowl of ice cream with whipped cream on top. R write it down. He said, I can remember that you want a bowl of ice cream with whipped cream on top. And I want a cherry. A bowl of ice cream with whipped cream and a cherry. Write it down. He said, I can remember. He goes to the kitchen. He's in there a little bit too long. He comes back with bacon and eggs and hands it to her. She looks at the plate and says, where's the toast? Right. <laughs> a little too close to home for this audience, right? Okay, so we, we, all, we all want to remember things, and we struggle. And uh, I was talking with uh, one of the retired pastors over in our other office at Starbucks, and he says, you know, it's interesting when you think of remember, uh, he, he's always heard it, you're supposed to say to your kids, remember, you're not supposed to say, don't forget. One is negative, don't forget, it's like, don't forget this. But if you say remember, it's more of a positive, it's an active Way. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And so Peter is saying, by way of, of reminder, something that you focus on, you, you, you have to do, re remember these things. Specifically, we're going to look at three things this morning. Remember that God loves you. Remember uh, to think biblically and remember that Jesus is returning. So let's look at chapter three. I think just because of where we're at, um, I'm going to just read the whole chapter. Uh, because we're going to be looking at it over the next few weeks, and, and there's just too much context in here to, to stop at one point. So let me just read the whole chapter. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring, you, uh, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, 
Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perish. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as is one day. But the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, amen, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and in the day of eternity. Amen. Now, we're not going to look at all of that, but I hope that you listen to that and say, well, I can't miss the next few weeks because there's, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, but this morning, what is, what is Peter trying to remind us of? He's trying to remind us of God's love. He's trying to remind us to keep and to continue to think biblically. And he's trying to remind us of Christ's return. And we're going to go into that in more detail in the next couple of weeks, but we're going to touch on it this morning. So first of all, remember you are loved. As I read that, I hope you heard four different times Peter refers to those he is writing to as beloved. And it's not just some little word to throw out there. I don't know what else to call them. Everything that the writers do in Scripture, they're doing purposefully. They're thinking through it. They're inspired by God. And what Peter is saying in, at the end of his life, as he knows that he is not going to be any longer a, a direct shepherd of these people, that he is passing these things on as the persecution uh, that they will face through Nero is increasing and will increase, that the, the people are being uh, murdered for following Jesus. They're being scoffed at. They're living in difficult times. Peter is saying, what, what, what do they need to know? 
But we live in a totally different world. Um, we're free to worship here. Um, maybe some of your relatives scoff at the fact that you got up an extra hour early this morning. Maybe your neighbors laugh at you when you drive out of the driveway, but you probably don't hear them. The scoffing that we face is pretty minimal. Maybe persecution will increase. Um, we keep thinking that it might. Um, we live in a time where we're worried about a, a virus. And we, and we live in fear, but you know, nowhere near, nowhere near the fear of the people that Peter is writing to. I just want to put that in perspective. Uh, sometimes we go, man, we live in hard times. Just look around your house for a little bit. We live in some pretty cushy homes. Okay? I have something in my living room called an easy chair. It's called that for a reason. Okay? I don't even have to make my feet go up anymore. It does it for me. It's pretty ridiculous. But in the midst of trials and suffering, Peter says, church, I want you to remember that you are loved by God. And I, I think that we often, we know that, but let's just, let's just slow down and pause for a minute. What does it mean to be loved by God? We think of uh, the words written in John that we like to put up behind the goalposts of football games. For God so loved the world, here's God's love, that he gave. The essence of God's love is that it gives. And specifically, it gave his son, it gave his son to die in our place. Romans says it this way, but God demonstrated his love for us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. At the heart of God's love, is an intervention. We, we just sang about that. He, he goes after the lost. And he saves them. He rescues them. That is God's love. In 2 Peter chapter 3, God's love is maybe described a little bit differently, but we, we have at the, the heart of God's love is the gospel. Um, and I think one of the things that Peter is trying to say to the church is you haven't been forgotten. In the midst of this struggling and this suffering and all that's going on, Peter is saying, I'm reminding you, you haven't been forgotten. In the midst of whatever it's you're going through, and, and in our world, whether it's financial difficulties or health difficulties or relational difficulties, God says, wait a second. I haven't forgotten you. I haven't turned my back on you. I recognize that this may be difficult that life is hard right now, but you are loved. You're not forgotten. And the things that you do as you try to serve God and other people aren't, they don't go unseen. In fact, he closes this whole section with what type of lives are you supposed to, to live? You're supposed to be actively waiting for God. What you're doing, the life that you're living, your faithfulness, although maybe it's not praised by your neighbors, it's not unseen by God. Your struggling and your attitude and the things that you're going through as you try to keep going and, and be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, even though things are difficult, it doesn't go unseen by God. 
I might miss it. Maybe you've been really faithful and you go, how come my pastor hasn't come and said, good job? Because he's an idiot. I don't know. I, I just assume you know you're doing a good job. But I, I, want, I, want you to, I want you to hear this morning, it's not like God is missing it. Your faithfulness does not go unseen. God is with you. You have hope in times of trouble. Um, I just want to go back to 1 Peter. We looked at it, I think it was in the fall. And, and he mentions here, hey, this is my second letter to you. So he's, he's getting them to remember this second letter. And let me just read a little bit from chapter 1, starting in verse, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Now listen, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it, through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the redemption of Jesus Christ. Look, um, you have hope in times of trouble. You've been saved, and that salvation that you have is protected, it's guarded in Christ Jesus. And what we are reminded of in God's love, in all these things, regardless of what you're going through, relationally, financially, physically, hear this, church, God loves you, and he has saved you. He has pulled you out. And uh, it was interesting in our reading, um, in one of the passages, it just kind of, you're kind of reading along sometimes. And, you know, if you're reading a few chapters, sometimes maybe you're rushing a little bit. And one of the readings, and I think it was in 2 Corinthians, he talks about, um, you know what? Uh, although some people are being persecuted to the point of death, he says. And then he goes on and he goes, but we don't perish. And I go, wait a second. You just said people were being killed. What do you mean we don't perish? God's definition of perish is a little different than our definition of perish, isn't it? There's something greater going on. And so whatever it is that you're going through, church, hear this, God loves you, okay? I, I know we're living at the epicenter of whatever. God loves you. I look out here, I know many of you are struggling physically. God loves you. I know that there's loneliness and financial struggles. God loves you. He has not forsaken you. He is coming alongside you. Second, remember to think biblically. He says, and we're still in verse 1, be worried now. In both of them, both of his letters, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. It's kind of a complex sentence there. Uh, the NIV says, as remembrance to stimulate your wholesome thinking. Another translation, to rouse your honest thought. What, what is he saying? What does it mean? One commentator said uh, the phrase common sense comes to mind. And uh, I am convinced that common sense is a spiritual gift and not everybody has it. But I don't think he's talking about that here. Look ahead a little bit. 
he is saying in verse, uh, uh, verse 2, remember the predictions. Well, where do we find these predictions? In the Bible. He says, uh, know that scoffers will come. How do we know that scoffers will come? Because it's in the Bible. Non-believers deliberately overlook. What do they overlook? The character of God, the writings of Scripture. Verse 5. So what is he saying here? He says, look, you need to take what is in God's word and you need to use that as the lens to look at your world. Look, here's why, I'll just, you know, you can disagree with me, but this is why our world and our politics, okay, and our, our political arena and our, our social media is so messed up right now. I've got, I've got the, the why right here. Everybody's looking through a different lens. Everybody's looking through a different lens. And I say, look, I believe that uh, the, the solution of the world is this, and so they look through that lens. I believe this, and I happen to believe that this is the story of our world. And so I have to look at everything through that lens. And that's really what Peter is saying here. He's like, look through the lens. Everyone seems to have a logic, and they love to share that logic. Uh, they want to they talk about it. And I, I shared a, a few weeks ago that you know, some guy in, in Starbucks wanted to share his logic of, of health and, and uh, the New York Times with me while telling me not to proselytize about Jesus Christ. Just this morning, I was over at Starbucks, and, and uh, my, my retired pastor friend was sitting at the, the Starbucks bar there, and he was talking with a non-believer, and he's building a relationship with him and sharing Christ. And I, I walked in, and I saw that, and I'm kind of thinking through this in my head. I'm like, you go, you know, good job. And uh, this guy looks up, and he looks at me, and he looks at this retired pastor, and he goes, I'm feeling outnumbered. And I said, we've got them surrounded. And then another guy walked in and he goes, oh, good, back up. <laughs> Everybody wants to share their peace, their logic, whatever it is. And, and as believers, we're going to keep coming back to this is what we look through in the lens of life. And so how do we do that? Uh, why, well, first of all, why does it matter? And I, as we looked at chapter 2, we're reminded that God's rule is under attack. These scoffers, these false prophets, it goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, as I was saying, God created everything, and then we find out there's this serpent, and we go, where does he come from? And the text doesn't tell us, but what we find out is that God's rule is being challenged. And it's no different today. The reality is that God's rule is under attack, and it shouldn't be under attack in our life. It shouldn't be under attack in our church, but sometimes it is. And so we have, uh, first of all, God's rule is under attack. And I think one of the things that we learned in chapter 2 as we talk about these false prophets is that Satan wants to steal fruit. He wants to deceive people and lead people down a non-gospel church road. And so there's a battle going on. And folks, listen, eternal life is at stake. If you, if you were listening to the end here of chapter 3, we're talking about judgment and fire and burning. There's, there's something huge at stake. And 
I know when life gets difficult, we want to circle the wagons. I, I used to love Westerns when I was a kid. Uh, I loved the, the old spaghetti Westerns that my grandfather watched on TV. I just, I, John Wayne, all that, I just loved that stuff. I loved reading about it, all the kind of stuff. The idea of coming across the plains on covered wagons when I was a kid, I just thought that sounded glorious. And then there was the times when they were attacked and they would say, circle the wagons. Have you ever seen a wagon? There's not much protection in that. Okay, it didn't end well when you circle the wagons. And somehow the church over the years We know the whole story is about this cosmic battle that's going on. And then when life gets hard, the church kind of says, let's circle the wagons. Let's hide in here because it's really scary out there. And every time the church takes that defensive position, it's done. Because Jesus said, we're going to storm the gates of hell. We're on the offensive. And so church, although it's really nice to come in here and crank up the heat, get a potluck going, sing some old songs, the reality is there's people just outside this door that need to hear about Jesus Christ. And so Peter's saying, remember, eternity is at stake here. This thing ends with judgment coming. So how do we do it? How do we think biblically? This is, I mean, we could preach a whole series on this. But I just wanted to give you a few things to think about. I think as we come to God's word, we really need to humble ourselves. Um, and, And what I mean by that is this. Look, we, many of us, grew up in the church And uh, we were just told things. This, 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 this is it, you know, and we we repeat those things. And it's really kind of fun when your grandkids go, uh, well, where is that in the Bible? And you go, (laughs) it's in there. Look, sometimes some of the things that we have taken on are traditions. They're interpretations. And the younger generation, they're asking good, good questions. If this is our lens, can you show me how we use it? If this is our lens, can you show me where it says that? Oh, one of my favorites. And I, you know, I'm just going to bend a few of you really good here. The Bible says, thou shalt not get a tattoo. It's in Leviticus. Says it one time. I grew up thinking if I got a tattoo, I was going straight to hell. It says it in the Old Testament. And you know what? There's five other things in that Leviticus 19 passage that it says that we don't apply today. So the kids say, well, how come we do this one but not this one? Just don't get a tattoo. It says it right here. But it also says, that's for Israel, not for you. But it also says that that's Old Testament, not New Testament. How do you know? We just know. See, we we have to humble ourselves and say, what what is God saying to us? What are the essentials? What matters? Now, you know, look up my sleeves, no tattoos. 
Okay? I grew up a good Baptist boy in fear and trembling of everything. Right? Grace. Yeah, that's New Testament. I think it's for heaven sometime, that future New Testament. But what I'm saying is we have to humble ourselves and read this not with our presuppositions in mind. Let's read the story. Second, not only do we need to humble ourselves, but we need to submit ourselves to it. In other words, if if I'm going to say this is God's word, not only do I have to believe it, but I actually have to do it. Okay, James says, do not merely be hearers of the word. And you kind of laugh. Of course, we're that's silly, but we do that all the time. I can tell you what it says, but I'm not doing it. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, I've obeyed all the commandments. And I just, I wanna, you just wanna go, look, I'm sure this guy was a really good moral guy, upstanding citizen. We would hire him for whatever job we had. We would have him manage our money. But really, you loved your neighbor as yourself all the time? Can you just think about that? Here's, here's our calling. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you need any more commandments to find ones that you haven't done fully yet? I mean, loving my neighbor as myself, that is hard. That's difficult. So how do we do that? So, man, I need to constantly be applying these things. And then third, um, I need to commit, uh, I need to submit myself uh, to God's word and commit myself to living it out. We need to We need to read it, take the presuppositions out. We need to um, submit ourselves to it and then actually live it out. So remember, number one, God loves you. Number two, remember to think biblically. Um, And I know, you know, I I hammer this same thing over and over again, and I'm sorry, not sorry. Um, The reality is the only way we're going to know what it says is if we're actually reading it. If this is the only time you're being fed during the week, it's not enough. Okay? This, isn't, this, is, this is not enough food to get you through the week. Um, so we need to be in God's Word. And if you want to do it on your own, that's great. We have a reading program so that we can do it together and talk about it, whatever works for you. And then third, remember Christ is coming back. So he says, you should remember, verse 2, the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing that, first of all, scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing, knowing their own, uh, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Okay? So what Peter is saying is like, remember, Christ is coming. And the source of these predictions of Christ's coming, it's threefold. He says, first, remember the prophetic word. Remember the predictions of the holy prophets. Where do we get that? We get that in the Old Testament, the the prophetic word of God that has been recorded in the Old Testament and now in parts in the New Testament. And he says the prophetic uh, predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of who? The Lord, Jesus. The other way that we know about all these things is the incarnate word. Jesus became flesh, and he lived among us. Um, I added a little bit to my reading schedule, and so I'm always trying to remember which parts you guys are reading and and which parts I've added. But I'm also reading through Luke, and I I love this part in Luke that I read this morning. They're looking at the temple, and the disciples, you know, Jesus has been a little crabby. It's the last week, and he's been tossing tables uh, in the temple, and he's been cursing fig trees. 
And the, I think the disciples are like, man, he needs to calm down a little bit. And so they go, hey, Jesus, look at the temple. Isn't it pretty? That's kind of a you little paraphrase there. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, look at that. There's not going to be one stone left on its, not one. Man, what a downer. So the disciples are like, okay, when is this going to happen? And from the disciples' point of view, temple's coming down. When is the end of the world and how are we supposed to know about it? And, and Jesus' response to them is just kind of like, it's going to get worse. Jesus talked about it. Don't be fooled. This is coming down and, the, and you, you follow, he kind of pops all over the whole history map. Look, Jesus talked about it. Don't be surprised. And then third, the apostles talked about it. The word of God talked about it. Jesus talked about it. The apostles have been talking about it. Look, we should not be surprised with this idea that Jesus is returning. And so I can hear your wheels turning. But, but, but it's been a really long time. Peter said, I I predicted you were going to say that. They will say, who will? We will. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Peter says, they deliberately overlook this fact. That the heavens existed long ago. And he talks about creation. And then he talks about the flood. Verses 6 and 7. Verse 8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years, it's like a day to him. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, but he's patient towards you. So the necessity of these predictions are, first of all, because there's all these people that are scoffing about the Bible in verse 3. Scoffers will come, and I just love the way that it says it, scoffers will come scoffing. Pretty simple. Those around us battle the Bible. They, they question, well, where is this? Where is this promise that you're talking about? They question it. What about this? What about that? Those around us choose, listen, those around us, whether you recognize it or not, to think biblically, going back to the beginning, the tree, what is the temptation to choose right and wrong on your own? To define it by your terms or by our culture's terms. Now, look at it. It's all through chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality. Are they following the word of God? No, they're following their own sensuality. Chapter 2, verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation, condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not, they're following greed. Chapter 2, verse 10. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Are they looking at the word of God? No. Chapter 2, verse 14. They have eyes full of adultery. Verse 18, for speaking loud boasts of folly. Look, they have been defining good and evil, what they want, 
according to their flesh, according to what they feel, according to what they want, not according to God's word. It's as simple as this. If you ask a child, now some of you've, you've raised your kids a little bit differently, okay? But if I've got a cake here, all right, and I have vegetables over here, and I say, you choose. Now, some of you have trained your kids really good. Amy's, Amy's kids, would, they'd go for the vegetables. But I'm just saying, growing up, I'd be like, okay. <clears throat> right? I mean, what do I want? Okay? Um, we, our, our kids got my, my father-in-law really good one time. Uh, they would visit, and my father-in-law didn't always want to go to church with us on Sunday morning. And so, uh, you know, we obviously were getting ready to go to church. We invited him. And, uh, and he says, oh, thanks, I think. And then he turns to my kids and he, and he pulls this. He says, do you guys want to go to church with mom and dad? Or do you want to go to the zoo with papa? I'm like, oh, you dog. You know, I'm just sitting over there. You know, my, my kids are like, well, we want to go to church. He's like, oh, okay, right? So, I mean, that was, that was shocking. But the reality is, most of the time, if we just go by what we feel, what we think, and our sinful nature, that's trouble for us. It's trouble for us. We make bad decisions. If, however, we look through God's word and we say, you know what, I'm going to say no now so that I can glorify God forever. I'm going to say no now so I can be rewarded later. I'm going to say no now because I'm going to trust that God knows better than I know. I'm going to say no now because I believe that God knows more about me than I know about myself. That's just wisdom. And so um, these, this group of people, they're, just, they're, they're, uh, they're choosing to find good and evil on their own. Those around us, in, in essence, don't want to submit to the king. Look, we talk about heaven and hell, and people are like, if you just gave them a choice between heaven and hell, they go, okay, yeah, I think I want heaven most of the time. But if we tell them that to get there, we need to submit to Jesus, now there's something different going on. People don't want to submit to the king. And as I was reading this, I know I'm preaching to the choir, and you're going, yeah, we're with you, Dave. We, we're saying no, we get it. Um, but I thought about us in our culture today. And I thought how often we choose or are more concerned about temporal comfort than we are about eternal impact. How often do I choose what is comfortable for me today than what is more important for eternity? And this came up in our reading yesterday in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And so I just want to read that to you. It was, it was pretty impactful and, and it started making me think, and maybe I had this passage on my mind already, I don't know, but uh, he says um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse uh, 3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. He goes on to say, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in inflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, 
labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet we know, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you. He's defending himself as an apostle, but this is, he is, look, what, look at the things that he's endured. That is not a great job description. Nobody is saying, sign me up for that. But that could be a reality. And we have to choose eternity over temporal comforts. And I think that's one of the biggest temptations of the church today. So we say, well, we can have it both. And recognize one day you may have to choose not to be comfortable to praise God for eternity. And then the reality of these predictions. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a little confusing there. Uh, in, in Peter's language, the readers kind of understood where he was going from this. But basically... Peter is saying, look, you think there's a you don't think that God is going to judge the world? Let me remind you of something. The heavens existed long before, and God spoke this earth into existence. And he created everything that we know. And then, because of sin, he destroyed it all. With the flood. It, that's in the first eleven chapters of the story. So be reminded, it's his, and he can destroy it whenever he wants. He built it, he can tear it down. And so there's three realities that he mentions in here. The word of God, okay? God's word spoke this into existence. It's his, he is powerful, he just said it, and it was. The word of God is a reality, God's word. Second, the fire of God. Now, it's interesting, we're talking about the flood here, but he brings in fire imagery as well. Why? Because fire has to do with judgment. What was the flood? It was a judgment. And so he brings in this image, and as Peter goes on, there's all these things melting, and, and I mean, it just sounds like a sci-fi movie that has not been made yet. I mean, it's just, it, it just is grabbing your imagination. Everything is burning up, the heavens and the earth and all this stuff. What is he saying? He's saying there's, there's fire of judgment is a reality. God's spoken word, his power is a reality, his judgment is a reality, and the reality is he's going to deal with the ungodly. And in the end, you do not want to be in the group of people that are the ungodly. So what is some application uh, for us today? I think that we look at God's word uh, through this lens in which we observe our world. And I think, number one, we, if you're here this morning, you need to trust your life 
to the maker of heaven and earth. You have an opportunity to respond in repentance to the king of kings. He created you. We have rejected his power and his rule over our life. And in doing so, we have separated ourselves from God. But God loved us so much that he sent his son that whosoever would believe in him, and not just believe, but give our life, trust in him, follow him. And so if you're here this morning and you have not done that, you need to repent of the past and choose to follow Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. Second, live with a future in mind. Live with eternity in mind. Why do we say love God and love people and make disciples? Because we believe that's what God has called us to do while we wait for his return. Look, if he just wanted us to love God and just sit around and have worship and Bible studies until he came, he would not have told us to go make disciples. Because going and making disciples is hard. And so we have a role to play, to be a light to the nations, to those around us. And so, look, while we are waiting, we are working. And we keep the eternity in mind. That's why we have to, as pastors and elders, constantly keep the vision in front of us. Because if, if left to ourselves, we would circle the wagons. But we know that we have a job to do, to love God, to love people, and make disciples. And we're reminded that when we circle the wagons, it never actually works out that well. I think that's a good picture. Next time you think, man, I want to hide in, the, hide in the church for a little while. Think about circling the wagons and how well that worked in the past. Okay? We're better off doing what Jesus has called us to do. I think the other thing is we need to continue to test everything according to God's word. And that means the politics of today's, the policies of today's. It means uh, the way that we view our neighbors. It means the way that we interact with people. We need to continue to test it through God's word. What is it, what is it that God is calling us to do? How are we light to the nation? We have to keep this as a, a center point. How does it, what does it look like to walk with Jesus? And those are hard things. Those aren't like an application point where you go home and check it off. Okay, I mean, you just go, well, that, that was no fun, Dave, right? I mean, it's really good if I can just say, hey, if you really want to do this, just go read 1 John and you're done. You know, you can get it done before lunchtime while you're waiting for your table to come, right? It's, it's not like that. These are, these are life ongoing things that we need to do. We need to continue to circle back to the word of God and view everything according to it. And that's hard work, okay? And it's not just my job, it's all of our jobs. We all need to do it. Um, so we're digging in deep here for the next two weeks in the coming of Christ. And uh, so we invite you to be back and, and see what we can learn from that as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, thank you for um, today and uh, for the challenge of your word. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've given us uh, your word as a lens. And thank you, God, also that um, you are coming again. We, we rest in that assurance and that reality help us to live according. As we give now of our, of our uh, treasures, Lord, we pray that you would be blessed in what we give and uh, that you would bless us and the givers as well. And we thank you for the opportunity to participate in the kingdom of God here and all over the world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.